Good evening. Good evening. Time for us to begin. Welcome to everyone. We are going to have our first song is going to be number 583. 583. If it's convenient for you, be standing for this song while we sing. Sing to me of heaven, sing a song of peace from the chores that by me it will bring release. Burdens will be lifted at our pressing, so showers of great blessing for my heart will flow. Sing to me of heaven, let me only dream of its golden Next song is number 610, 610. After we sing this song, we'll have a reading and prayer. And Jeremy will hand up, handle that for us.
Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we are truly thankful for all that you have done. We are thankful, Father, for the opportunity that we have to assemble, to assemble in a free country, to worship the way that we hope you want us to. We're thankful, Father, for, for all the freedoms that we have in where we are and the freedom that we have uh, in who we belong to and who we follow. We're thankful, Father, for your son and for all that he's done on our behalf. We're thankful for his, for his teachings, for his examples. Father, we're thankful for his death, ultimately, the suffering that he went through for each of us. We ask, Father, as we struggle in our daily lives, we ask for your strength and we ask for your, your guidance, for your comfort, for your encouragement. We ask, Father, you help us to, um, to make the right decisions always, Father, uh, in service to you. Help all that we do be a glory to you and help us to use all that we have in your, in your service. Continue to guide us now through, uh, through this evening, through, through our worship. May it be pleasing. And guide us each day, Father, in our lives and, and uh, just help us to do what we can to, to, to be better each day, more like your son. We're mindful of many who are hurting, who are struggling. And there are many, Father, who are sick. There are many who are grieving. And there are many, Father, who uh, just struggle emotionally, uh, struggle um, psychologically, Father, with their lives and where they're at and, and what's going on. Uh, just help us to be an encouragement when we can. Strengthen those who are weak. Comfort those who are grieving. Bless us, Father, uh, each day. Continue to guide and protect us in all that we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The scripture reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. So woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. They're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Song of Invitation is going to be number 744, if you want to mark that, if you use the books. Let's stand and sing number 777, Whosoever Heareth. Whosoever heareth shall shout the sound, spread the blessed tidings all the world around. Shall the joyful news wherever man is found, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over. Whosoever will have me 
Good evening. Chapter 11 tonight. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be spending our time tonight. We are finally here. Jesus has been working his way to, toward Jerusalem since the very beginning of Mark's gospel. And today he comes into the city. And the beginning verses of Mark chapter 11, Jesus is going to be pictured as telling his disciples to go into the city. You're going to find a donkey there that no one has ever ridden on. You're going to get the donkey and bring it back to me. If anybody says, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? You tell them that the master has need of it. So that's what the disciples do. They go into Jerusalem. They find the donkey that's tied there on the street. Sure enough, someone says, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? When they started trying to untie it, they say, hey, the master has need of it. The person lets them go. And they bring the donkey to Jesus. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this particular donkey whoop, that you might want to be aware of. I'm not leading that song. <laughs> uh, so there's some things about this donkey that no one has ever ridden on that you probably need to be aware of. Kings did this. And this is Mark's way of saying that Jesus is a king. In Jesus' day in the first century, there was this uh, notion that kings did not ride on horses uh, that other people had ever ridden on. And so this is a special animal. No one's ever ridden on this particular animal. And this is Mark's way of saying Jesus is king. Just one more time out of all the many times that Mark is going to say that throughout his gospel. Jesus, uh, Jesus is king. There's something else, though, interesting in this in this, uh, this, about, about this donkey. Have you ever tried to ride a horse or any animal uh, that has never been ridden? They're called breaking. It's called breaking the animal, right? Um, Kelly's cousins have horses, and they live in Illinois, and we went out there one year, and they, the, we get to watch the guy breaking a horse. It is horrifying, <laughs> right? Have you ever seen this? The horse bucks and bronks, and it's throwing its, its head, and it's kicking up its feet, and it's dusty, and it's dirty. And it's, it's very violent. It's a very violent episode, right? And the horse rolls around on itself. And this donkey doesn't do any of that. And so this is perhaps Mark's way of telling us that this uh, that God, Jesus, has the power over not just the nature, like, he, like he's shown to us with the calming of the storm, not just over uh, diseases like he does with the healing of the blind man or the leper, but also even over animal kind. Uh, this donkey automatically submits to, to him and allows him to, be, uh, to ride it into the city. Now, as they get into the city, there are... Uh, some uh, that huge crowd that followed him from Jericho is still with him. And so they are now uh, a part of even a larger crowd uh, inside of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem, this is Passover. This is the week right uh, during Passover. So we are finally entering the final days, the final week of Jesus' life right here. Uh, and so pilgrims all across the known world at that time have entered Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is just... It's, it's gone from a busy town to a bustling metropolis. Think if New York got dropped right in the middle of Lawrence County. That's what's happened to uh, Jason's quarry, right? <laughs> That'd be terrifying. No, don't do that. Um, so this Jerusalem has turned into a bustling metropolis uh, because of all these pilgrims that have come in. And word on the street is Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that's come to save them from their sins, uh, at least to save them. And so these people are shouting out. If you look in uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 9, and said, Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This word, Hosanna. It's a word you're probably familiar with, right? We sing some songs with Hosanna in them. But it literally means, save us now. It's a cry for help, a plea for mercy. Save, save us now. That's what they're crying out to, to Jesus. Uh, so it's not really a title, it's more of a plea. Save us, save us now. And so as the, the king comes into his capital city, his people recognize what's going on. Remember, Mark's all about people who might not naturally see Jesus, like see him. It's not just that they're physically seeing him, but they really 
acknowledge his deity kind of see him. Mark's all about people like that acknowledging Jesus' deity, even though they might not have seen a lot of his signs or his miracles or his teaching. Whereas you've got the disciples who ought to be privy, who have been privy to all that, who ought to be um, ready to lay down their lives at his very word. They don't have, they don't see him right. But this crowd sees him. They see him correctly. And they, so they're shouting out, save us now to the only person who can save them. They've got it right. Yeah? Uh, and then look at this next little part they, that they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognize that Jesus has come by the authority of the Father. These people are making a deep theological statement as they scream these words as Jesus walks or rides into uh, Jerusalem. Make no mistake, don't miss what they're saying here. Save us now, you're the only one who can. We acknowledge that the Father, God the Father, has uh, imbued you with authority. Now, authority is going to be a key component here in Mark chapter 11. We're going to try to get through the entire chapter uh, today, tonight. So, hang on. Um, But authority is going to be a a key component to what's going on in this chapter. These people get it when the other people who ought to understand, the leaders, don't. They completely, completely miss it. Here's another thing you're going to need to underline in your scriptures. Uh, Look in, uh, let's see. Back up to verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Mark's going to give you the first breadcrumb. Uh, As we've traveled through Mark in this series, uh, you you begin to look for breadcrumbs, uh, clues that Mark's leaving you as to what he's wanting to talk about, his topic of conversation for this chapter, this section. Many of Mark's uh, sections are, are larger than just one chapter. So, but he leaves you breadcrumbs. And I think the very first breadcrumb, the very first clue is in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. That's where they go in and they get the donkey. But notice Bethpage and Bethany. Uh, you, you're going to want to underline those two cities. Bethpage in, in, in uh, Greek is house of unripe figs. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you scan down just a second, you're going to see that Jesus is going to curse the fig tree. This Bethphage is no, uh, it's no accident that, it's, that Mark records this for us here. So underline that and then put at the top maybe house of unripe figs. The next little term here, Bethany, is house of sorrow. That's what it literally is in, in Greek. So Beth is house of, and whatever comes after it, it's the rest of the term. So Beth, Beth Page, house of unripe figs, and Bethany, house of sorrow. So there's going to be some figs here that are going to cause sorrow. It's Mark's first clue. Let's get into uh, the rest of his text here. Look in verse 11, because Jesus is going to do something really interesting here uh, in, this, in this verse that you just wouldn't expect him to do, especially considering what he's going to do the next day when he comes into Jerusalem. He's going to clean, clean out the temple, right? You're familiar with this story. He makes a whip of cords, drives out everybody in the temple. He's furious at them. Um, but listen to what he does on the very not, the night before that happens on, on the, the next day. Verse 11, he says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. His goal was never just get to, to just get to Jerusalem. He was ultimately headed toward the temple. And the first thing he does when he gets into Jerusalem is go directly to the temple. Listen to what happens when he gets into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, so he looks around, he sees everything that's going on. As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he looks around at everything that's going on in the temple. It's late. I wonder what he sees there. Whatever he sees there makes him go back to the house of sorrow, Bethany. So what's he see there? Have you ever been to a county fair on the last day? Or a fairgrounds? We've got the fairgrounds right next door, right? So when the fair's in town, 
and it's been six, seven days. What's the ground look like? It's just littered with trash, isn't it? There's just stuff everywhere. Uh, Empty cups, napkins, dirty diapers, other things that are gross. There's just, (laughs) I mean, there's, there's just trash all over the ground, right? We also have uh, cows and livestock and all that kind of stuff over here sometimes, right? What's the ground look like around there? Because that's exactly what the temple was being used for. In the first century, in Jesus' day, they are bringing in livestock for the purpose of selling it to the people, the pilgrims that are coming in. They have to have a sacrifice. It's Passover. You have to bring in a sacrifice for your family. If you're too poor, you can bring in some turtle doves. Uh, If you can afford it, you you bring in a lamb. There are, uh, there's a record of uh, when the when the Romans are going to come in in AD 70 um, and destroy Jerusalem. That year, there were 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed. Can you imagine the feces that 250,000 lambs would produce in a week? It's disgusting, right? Jesus looks around at all the stuff that's going on, right? Verse 11, he looked around at everything. And as it was late in the day, they've had hours and hours to use the bathroom on the floor for people to throw their receipts and trash on the ground. It's disgusting. The smell is overwhelming. When Kelly and I go to, we've had the opportunity to go to El Salvador several times uh, over the last 10 or 15 years or so, we've probably been five or six times. One of, the fa- one of the favorite places our group goes when we're there is to the ocean. It's beautiful. And it's just really neat. It's a rocky uh, beach there. It's not sand. It's just these big stones, you know. It's just really neat. But one of the things you do as you're trying to get out onto the pier is you have to walk through this fish market. It is maybe the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. It's just overpowering fish guts and fish smell, and it's, it's just gross. And you look everywhere you look, there's chopped up fish bodies. You know, it's just it's nasty, right? Picture that smell. That that's what Jesus comes into the temple, and I don't know that that's what disturbs him. He goes from looking at the trash that's on the ground to the sin that's in people's hearts. Listen to what he does here. We're going to skip this, the cursing the fig tree, although I want you to pay attention to that because when Mark opens up a subject like the fig tree and then he moves on to a different topic like the temple and then he comes right back to the fig tree... Mark is encapsulating these two stories that go together. He's trying to teach you something using these two stories, their bookends. So don't try to deal with them individually. These things go together. So for right now, though, just for our purposes, because it's easier for us to get, skip over the fig tree and let me walk you through the next day in the temple. So on the previous day, he, looks, he walks in and looks around at everything. He sees all the trash and the mess on the floor. He also looks at the people. Because there's some things going on in the temple in, on this day and in the first century that God was not pleased with. Listen to what he says, verse 15. And they came to, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he were overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. What's going on there? There's a couple of terms there that maybe, maybe you're not familiar with. Uh, let's start with the, the, those who bought and those who sold in the temple. So if you were a pilgrim, you came from, say, Ephesus, and you're a Jewish person, you come to Jerusalem every single year for Passover. You don't bring an animal with you because... Traveling that far with a lamb would be ridiculous. So you get to Jerusalem and you pull out your wallet and you buy a lamb. You buy it from seller A. You give him the money, you get the lamb, you take it over to the priest. The priest says, oh, 
where did you get this lamb? After he's inspected it, that's his job to look him over to make sure the, the offering is suitable. He says, where did you buy this lamb? This thing is not suitable as a sacrifice to Yahweh. This thing is blemished. Who sold you this lamb? And you say, well, seller A sold it to me. He says, well, don't go to seller A, you silly Ephesian. You're an out-of-towner. Let me, you know, let me let you in on what's going on. You need to go to Bart over here, seller B, and give him the money, and he's going to give you a, an appropriate sacrifice. And so you would have to go over to Bart, seller B, and you give him Yet more money. Now, the problem with this is Bart and the priests are in league together. They're getting a cut off of the sacrifice that you gave to seller B. That makes sense? You see why now they said your original sacrifice wasn't appropriate? It was fine, right? They just weren't getting money for you buying their original sacrifice. Now they're getting a kickback, so to speak. So that infuriates Jesus. He cannot stand that. So, because they're taking advantage of the people, right? And so, this next little part here, the money lenders. You ever been to an airport in a third world country? Where do you exchange your money when you go to El Salvador or Africa or somewhere like that? You don't do it in the airport. You know why? Because they take advantage of you. The exchange rate in an airport is very, very bad. You do it when you get in the country because it's much better. You get more bang for your buck. That's what these guys are doing. As you come into the temple, you have to exchange your money for temple currency. So you might hand them a $50 bill, and they give you back $5 in temple currency. That's, that's the kind of bad exchange rate they're giving you. It's not dollar for dollar. This is like $50 for $5. And so they're taking advantage of the people. This is something that's been going on for a very long time. If you go back through and you look at Malachi... Remember Malachi in the Old Testament? He's the last prophet that speaks to Israel. For 400 years, God is silent. The next voice they hear is John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Back to Malachi. He is indicting them for the exact same things that Jesus indicts them for here on this day. You are staying up late at night. Finding ways, thinking up ways to take advantage of people. He just cannot, he can't can't take it. It infuriates him. And so he drives them out of the temple. Back up to the fig tree. Let's read it because this is maybe one of the oddest uh, stories Mark tells us. But I think the point here is so, so powerful. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the following day, so... Just, just so you get the timeline right. He's entered Jerusalem. He's gone into the temple. He looked around. He saw everything. All the, all the mess that's on the floor. But also the mess that's in people's hearts. Right? He sees all that stuff. And then he leaves. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, from the house of sorrow, he was hungry. Jesus is 100% human. He's 100% God. He's also 100% human. So if he doesn't eat breakfast, he gets hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he, could, if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Makes sense, right? So he walks up to this fig tree. He's hungry. His, tummy, his stomach's probably growling. The apostles are back there with him. Maybe their stomachs are growling. And he's walked over to this tree because it's in leaf, but it's not the season for figs. So he knows there's not going to be figs on there, right? Listen to what he says next in verse 14. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And, he, and his disciples heard it. Now that's going to be important because what happens next with the fig tree, they're going to come back the next day. And sure enough, that thing's dead all the way down to its roots and the disciples are going to be impressed. That's why Mark mentions that they heard it. But why does he do it in the first place? Let's take a second and just kind of pick apart what Mark's trying to tell us. I think what Mark is trying to tell us here. Jesus looks at this fig tree and he sees it in leaf. It looks right. It looks like it would have figs. Even though it's not the season for figs, it looks like it would give you figs. This is how a tree looks when it has figs on it. It's in leaf, right? So Jesus walks over to the fig tree and it doesn't actually produce any fruit. 
Does that sound like anybody you know? The priests, the Pharisees. I think the fig tree is just an object lesson. Jesus is trying to drill into the disciples' minds and our minds. If you don't produce fruit, your faith is useless. Might as well not even do it. If you're not producing fruit, your faith is useless. Now, these Pharisees and these priests, they looked good, man, right? They looked like they were doing everything right. They looked righteous. You walked into the temple, and the temple is just bursting with people, right? I mean, just think of the church building was, if we had chairs down the aisles here, and people are standing in the doorways, and we've got alternate auditoriums over there and stuff because people are just so hungry for the word they want to hear that's what jerusalem feels like it's not what it actually is but that's what it feels like on this day and so all these people just want to come and they want to worship god it's what it feels like it's what it looks like it's not actually true but that's what it looks like and then they come to the priest or to the, to the seller uh, of the sacrifice, and they just want to do what's right. They give him the money, they get an, uh, a sacrifice. And they take it to the priest to inspect it. That's his job. That's the thing that God entrusted him with. He is in charge of the temple. That's going to be important in a second. He's in charge of the temple. And so it's his responsibility to make sure you and me, as the worshiper, is bringing our bringing appropriate sacrifices to God. He looks at your sacrifice and says, oh, I'm sorry, this, uh, this is not an appropriate sacrifice. This thing is blemished. You can't, you can't bring this before God. If he were right, if the thing actually was blemished, he's doing his job. He's honoring God, right? He sounds righteous. And then he, he finds a way for you to get an unblemished lamb. To offer as your worship to God. He's righteous. He's doing his job. When all he's doing is really feeding his own wallet. Everything looks right. But it's just dead men's bones inside. Whitewashed tombs. Right? That's Matthew 22, 27. Everything looked right. But there wasn't any actions. No faith to back it up. Jesus, as he stands in Bethany, looks at this tree with a temple in the background. That had to be what he was thinking. You guys are just like this fig tree. You're all show, but you never produce anything. Your faith doesn't move. It doesn't do anything. You don't reach out. You don't reach in. You don't change. You don't transform. You don't do anything. You're just full of dead men's bones. And it's going to cost you. That's his ultimate word uh, to them. Let's, let's keep going. Um, look in verse 17. Back in the temple, Jesus says has pushed everybody away. This had to be an incredible scene. I mean, just thousands of people. The temple is not a small spot. So don't think like, if someone were to get angry in here, in our building, don't, don't think of the temple like that. This place is enormous. Uh, I mean, don't even think like a football field. This place is several, it's a stadium worth of, of people. And that size, and Jesus drives them all out. Nobody can buy, nobody can sell, nobody, the moneylenders are kicked out. There's nobody transferring temple currency to, or uh, your currency to temple currency. All that stuff is gone because Jesus just refuses to allow it because of the trash, the sin that's living inside of them. Because they're taking advantage of people. Verse 17, he says, and he, as, and he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, my house? Whose house is this? My house. Jesus says, he, he quotes, this is Zechariah 9, 9. He's quoting a prophecy here, but he attributes it as his house. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. 
It's not just the Jewish people. He says, I want everybody to come in, and you guys are making it hard for the Jewish people to come in, much less the nations. He, he says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers, cutthroats, murderers. That's what they've done. They've so taken advantage of people. Jesus says, this is like being in the back alley in Amsterdam. This is a bad, bad place. And you are sinful, wicked people. You look good on the outside. But on the inside, there's nothing but roaring, sinful, hatred, wickedness going on on the inside. Verse 18, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They're still not looking for a way to kill him. They haven't come to that point yet. The ESV here uh, says destroy, and I think that's a good translation. They, they haven't worked their way up to murdering him yet. It's coming, right? Within the next six or so days, they're going to get there. But right now, they're just looking for a way to take him down a notch or two in the eyes of the people. Too many people are listening to him, and they can't have that. So they're looking for a way to discredit him. So they're looking for a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And, and when evening came, they went out of the city. So this, 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 these, the fig tree and the temple stories, he's in and out of Jerusalem. He's in and out. Uh, there's so many people there. I don't know if there's, maybe there's not room for him in Jerusalem. Maybe he knows it's not safe. For whatever reason, he, he moves in and out of Jerusalem. And on his way back into Jerusalem on the next morning in verse 20, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered, good job, Peter, that was yesterday. Like he remembered what Jesus said. Uh, he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus has this really interesting segue because he doesn't go where you think he would go, does he? He says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. He starts talking about prayer. Now, I don't want to get too deep in this because we're running out of time, and I want to talk about this next Sunday night. So, hold on to this little section here. But if you mark in your scriptures, maybe you want to draw a little uh, parenthetical statement around this, around this section here. Because he's saying... Something very much like what he said to them when they couldn't cast the demon out of the little boy. Do you remember that story? Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down off the mountain, and there's a guy there, a whole big crowd. Thousands of people are standing in front at the base of the mountain. The guy speaks up from the crowd. And he says, hey, Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples just now, but they couldn't cast the demon on my boy. And it's, I mean, it's just an awful situation. He throws him in the sea, throws him into the fire. Can you help him? Uh, and Jesus does, of course, he casts out the demon. The demon never comes back into the boy. The disciples look at Jesus and they say, why couldn't we do that? Do you remember what he says? This kind only comes out by prayer. Again, he's connecting this to prayer. Right, right here again, prayer keeps coming back up. Who are the disciples depending on? Whose authority? There's that word again that's so called up in Mark chapter 11. Whose authority were the disciples depending on? To cast out the boy. Or <laughs> to cast out the demon. Wouldn't that be something if a demon had a boy? <laughs> Whose authority were the disciples depending on to cast out the demon from the boy? Their own. They had just gone through a whole season where they could kick demons out of people. Where they could heal illnesses. Right on a limited commission. They were the people. And I think they got a little too proud of that fact. So... When they went to the well for the power to, to kick this demon out, God said, no, because you're dependent on your own authority, your own power. And you don't have any authority. You don't have any power. He does. So you need to access that through prayer. Everybody with me? You see how it ties back? He's saying something very much like that right here. You don't need to depend on your own power, your own authority. You need to trust in God. Who are the priests trusting in? Well, they trust a lot in themselves. They also trust a lot in their bank account, their piggy banks. <laughs> right? They trust an awful lot in that. You know what they don't trust in? God. 
They stopped trusting in God a long time ago, and they just decided to take the kingdom and do what they wanted to with it. And now Jesus has shown back up on the kingdom. He's on the on the throne. He says, "No more. This is my kingdom. This is my house, and you're going to do it my way, or you're going to be condemned." Listen to what he says here in this these uh, last little section, starting in verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So, I mean, the, the authoritative posse comes to Jesus. Verse 28, they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They kind of crossed their arms. These guys with big beards and hats and all this authority. And like as this posse moved down the street, people separated and allowed them to go through because there's so much authority, so much leadership here. These guys are in charge of the temple, and rightly so. God put them in charge. You go back through and you read Leviticus. Who's in charge of the temple? It's the Levites. It's the priests. These guys are the rightful heirs to taking care of what goes on in the temple. They have the authority. And so they come up to Jesus and says, Who told you you could do these things? Because I mean, you made a mess out of the temple yesterday. You broke up commerce. People couldn't get their sacrifices. Who told you you could do that kind of stuff? Because it certainly wasn't us. In fact, we're the ones who told the moneylenders what the exchange rate should be. Right? We're the ones who told you to go over to, to seller B and get the, the appropriate sacrifice. We're the ones who gave those people the authority to do that. Who told you you could do anything in the temple? Jesus is going to tell them something here that's kind of mind-blowing that I want to leave you with this week. He's got a question for him first, though. He says, okay, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you'll tell me, where did John's baptism come from? And Mark tells us why this puts them in a pickle. Let's just read it. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, so they kind of get back over in their little huddle. <laughs> they don't want anybody to hear what's going on because they already know the answer to this. So they, they pull themselves over in this little huddle. And they say, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe it then? Right? That's the prevailing thought of Jesus' day, is that John the Baptist was a prophet. I mean, you go back through and you can read that in each one of the Gospels. Who do, who do people say that John was? Well, some say he was Elijah. Some say he was a prophet. He's from God. No matter who he really is, he speaks with God's authority. And so they're going to say, well, if we say that it was from heaven like the people think it, think it was, and like we ought to think it is, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you submit to it then? Why didn't you go down to the Jordan River and were baptized by him? Why didn't you listen? Verse 32, but shall we say from man, for they were afraid of the people, for they all held, held that John was really a prophet. So he's got them. Jesus has got them here in this, in this argument, uh, uh, this question argument. Um, if we say it's from God, Jesus is going to say, why didn't you follow him then? If we say he's from man, the crowd's going to dissolve our leadership roles. They're not going to be leaders anymore. The crowd's going to rise up, and there's going to be a riot. And the priests are fairly certain that they're going to bear the bad end uh, of that deal. And so these leaders of Israel, listen to what they say. These people who ought to have... At least the answers that the common average Jew had, the Jew who did not go to seminary, who didn't have the theological training, who didn't sit under all the massive names of these rabbis, who hadn't studied scripture every day of their lives, the common average Jew was like, hey, John the Baptist is from God and Jesus is the Messiah. That's what they know. What do these, what do these, these priests know? Verse 33, this, they say, well, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither, shall, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, the thing I want to leave you with, the thing that's going to bother you all week is, why didn't he capitalize? He won the argument, right? He's got them dead to rights. These teachers of the law, Jesus has them nailed. 
Why didn't he capitalize? He, it's the perfect opportunity for him to say, well, I'll tell you then, since you don't know who John, who, who gave, uh, whether John's uh, baptism, whether his teaching was from God or not, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things and by what authority John did those things. The Father sent me to bring people to him, right? To save these people from their sins. It's the perfect opportunity to do that. Why didn't he do it? Why didn't he capitalize? That's going to bother you. It bothered me for about a week. You think about it. I'll tell you what I think about Friday on our Facebook page. Or hit me up on Sunday. Um, This chapter in Mark is all about, are you really who you say you are? The priests weren't. And next week, in chapter 12, the kingdom is going to be taken away from them. And they're going to be condemned. Are you really who you say you are? Or on the inside, are you full of dead men's bones? Is your faith active? Is it doing something? Is it growing? Is it vibrant? Or is it dying? Or perhaps dead? The answer, the the solution to this problem is... There's a way back, right? There's always a way back. How far away was the prodigal son when he decided it was time to come home? He was as far as he could possibly be. It's never too late to return, to turn around, to repent. And so maybe that's what you need to do tonight. Maybe it's time to repent, to turn away from the things that you've done, thought, said, the attitudes that you've had, that are anti-God. And to start following, to start, start to use Mark's word, submitting to Him. Allow Him to save you through the power of baptism. Be added to this family. Maybe you've already made that decision this, uh, this evening. And you just need the, the prayers of this congregation uh, to be who God would have you to be. To be the real deal. If you have any of this morning. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday you'll record you'll see. Someday you'll answer the question of why. What will your answer be? What will it be? What will it be? Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that this Wednesday we'll uh, be having our Bible classes, so I do encourage everybody to come to that. 
Also, uh, the devotional for the teens has been moved to the teen room upstairs. Um, we'll meet up there. Uh, we're planning on having that at the Williams house outside, but due to the weather, we're going to have it there another time this month. Um, also, as a reminder, next week, uh, for next Sunday, after our service, Sunday evening service, will be our senior recognition. Um, I do encourage everybody to stay, stay and uh, help support our seniors for that. And also, out in the foyer are the seniors' Bibles. Um, if you can, uh, highlight your favorite scripture in that Bible and also maybe put a note or, or, or sign it saying that's your favorite scripture. Um, just so that way they can, as they look through their Bibles, they can be encouraged by their church family. So um, they're out there, highlighters are out there and pens are out there. Um, remember to continue to keep Carol Galloway in your prayers, Charlie Boso, Dottie Hager, Mildred Jones, Trey Davis, Wayne Stevens, Mary Stevens, Kristen Ward, and Rusty Leap in your prayers at this time as well uh, throughout this week. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. Uh, we'll sing one more song, and Jackson Stevens will have our closing prayer. Sing number 387. Lead me to some soul today. <clears throat> Lead me to some salt today, oh teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, and thank you for allowing us to gather here at church tonight. Please bless all of the great mothers who have entered our lives and help us all to have a good week. Please be with all of those Dave mentioned tonight, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>